Welcome to the Here is Hope podcast. My name is Alisa Ayala. I struggled severely with my mental health. My anxiety stopped me from dreaming and creating the life that I wanted for myself. I felt stuck in my anxiety. It defined me, it silenced me, and I couldn't even have a simple conversation with you because I lived in fear, anxiety, and bitterness. Through so much personal, spiritual, mental, emotional growth, and conversations with entrepreneurs, leaders, mentors, pastors, I now get to define who I am and create the life that I want for myself. This podcast is meant to give you hope that you can do all the things, no matter your past, your struggles, your barriers, or labels that the world has placed on you. You can create the life that you want. Here is hope and the tools you need for a more purposeful, driven, happy life. Welcome to season two of the Here's Hope podcast. I am super, super excited for today because we have a very special guest. His books were life-changing for me, and he is the founder of Hope Generation. He is the best-selling author and international speaker, Ben Corson. It's so nice to meet you. I'm so glad we get to do this. This is so fun. You too. Thank you so much. Well, I'm excited. I'm so stoked. Me too. Um, Okay, so do you want to start with just telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're all about? Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on today's podcast. I'm Ben Corson of Hope Generation. And um, yeah, so Hope Generation is a TV show that airs on 20 different networks in 180 different countries, and also a radio show that's on 484 stations around the nation. And uh, it's our social media platform as well. We have over 600 YouTube videos up. We go ham, we go hard on it. So I'm super, super excited to, you know, get to just wake up every morning and really spread hope to the world. That's why I'm here. You know, there's one suicide every 40 seconds globally. And so my mission is to totally like reverse the statistics and just spread hope to the nations. And it wasn't always like that, right? So I know that you were struggling with depression and suicide ideation for 10 years. So can you tell me a little bit about that before? All of this. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's where this came from. I believe that oftentimes it's our weaknesses that birth our greatest strengths. I believe our curses turn into blessings and that our oddities are our commodities. And a lot of times the area where we suffer the most is the same area where we help people the most. And I was just reading this story of Nehemiah, or I was writing about this story of Nehemiah today, um, how in the Bible, Nehemiah for 140 years, like it was 140 years since he heard of Jerusalem's, like, um, or pardon me, let me, let me say that again. It, it was when he heard that Jerusalem's walls were in tatters and lying in ruins, that had happened 140 years ago by the time he heard this in Nehemiah chapter one, and he was weeping for four months over it. It's like, why would he be, that's like, you know, asking how are things in DC? And somebody's like, well, Abraham Lincoln got assassinated. You would say, you're, you're a little behind the curve if you're weeping about Abraham Lincoln getting assassinated when that happened in 1865. So uh, I think that a lot of times we can find our ikigai, which is the Japanese word for the thing that gets you up out of bed in the morning, by the thing that makes us grieve or the thing Mm -hmm. that makes us saddened. And the thing that outrages and saddens me is the fact that suicide is such a real epidemic in our generation. And it wasn't just the global statistics. It was my own personal story like you're talking about. I got diagnosed with complex PTSD. My counselor 
said, you have one of the most difficult cases of depression I've ever had to treat. So it was really gnarly after, you know, after my brother died and after my sister died and, you know, after going through a romantic heartbreak after an eight year relationship and a pastor friend committing suicide and killing himself. And on top of that, you know, going almost committing suicide three times. Uh, the fact that God healed me from that makes me go on a mission to heal the world. I mean, even just a couple of weeks ago, I said this stalker who follows my speaking schedule around and he caused a car accident in Florida at this digital event I was doing because he was protesting so loud. It gets crazy. You can start to think is the universe inimical and hostile toward my very being. And it's those feelings of the future being swallowed by an infinite gray that can make you start to believe that tomorrow is going to be no different than today. So the fact that God healed me and he did is what galvanizes me to get out of bed in the morning and, and try to heal the world. Yeah, I love that so much because that's what I'm experiencing for myself right now with this podcast and just talking about mental health and anxiety and everything. Like I have a reason to get up every morning and it's exciting. Like even though yeah. I still have to work a job that I don't really like that much, like I still get to do this on the side and that's what yeah. kind of gives me that energy. And I think if more people had that, they'd be happier and we'd have a better world, you know? I 100% so. agree. And that's what Viktor Frankl talked about in Logotherapy. I actually wrote about it in my book, Optimist But basically, Frankl said that unlike Adler's belief that, you know, our psychological quest is one to acquire more power grabs or, you know, uh, Sigmund Freud's infantile sexuality, Oedipus complex, driving our psychology, or even Jungian dream analysis. Frankl believed that you know, what we're really searching for as a psychic species, and by psychic, I mean our psyche, our psychology, it's really propelled and driven by our need to find purpose and meaning. And so if you find your purpose and your ikigai and your meaning, then when you wake up in the morning, it's going gonna, it's gonna to launch you out of the bed and yeah. you're going to want to go into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the best feeling. Um, and so I've read both of your books. And then so your last book, I know that you talk about all these weapons on how to defeat the darkness. If you had to pick one, what would be the one that helped you the most? Prayer walks. I mean, I think over the years, there have been different things for different times. Uh, you know, I write in the, the chapter about Elroy, how counseling really got me out. I wrote about the promises of God being huge. I wrote about friend ventures with their skateboards. That, those were all some of the most influential things um, in their own right at their own time. But I would say over the years, it's prayer walks, you know, psychological uh, benefits that prove advantageous to your holistic health are really derived and occasioned from and by our prayer time. Research shows us that when you talk intentionally to a loving God, the frontal lobe of your brain activates into its highest intellectual capacity and you boost your brain intelligence by praying on top of that, if you pray to a loving God, it uh, develops richer, thicker gray matter in your prefrontal cortex where creative thinking and planning is. It gives you more blood flow to your interior singlet cortex, which is where empathy and compassion are located. And you actually lose um, activity in your amygdala, which is the part of your brain of fear, anger, stress, and high blood pressure. So basically through neuroplasticity, just as Daniel Amens, who did 83,000 brain scans over a 22 year career, found that the single greatest discovery he and his colleagues made is that the brain can change. So too, I believe that prayer is one of the things that can start to change our cranial package so that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind through rote and repetitious thinking, driving our thoughts toward the light. It actually can help us take our thoughts captive. So I'd say 
those prayer walks and just going on walks. Uh, research shows talking to God about your hopes, fears, and dreams is the same effect on your brain as therapy. That's what science says. That was a huge cathartic and therapeutic outlet for my own soul. And you talk about in your book um, how we perceive God matters, right? Because if we, we see God as an angry God who's mad at us all the time, um, it's different than when you see God as loving and kind and compassionate and loving towards you. How do you see God for who he really is, for those who see God as angry at, at you? Romans 15 is really the, the anchor and the, the foundational and the most fundamental thing for me in perceiving God. And that says that uh, he is the God of hope. That's what Paul says. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what's so different about the creation poem as juxtaposed against, you know, Babylonian mythology where Marduk is basically tearing apart like violently a creature and outspill the guts. And that's how creation came into being. That weird mythology that basically the world was created through violence the story of Genesis is that God created the world in a garden setting is where he placed Adam and, and Eve, man and woman. And so basically like my worldview, and this is so important to me, is not that of pantheism that everything is God or even panentheism that God is in everything, but that God is above all in all through all, but he's a personal God, not just a non-personal cosmic force. And so because he benevolently created the world, out of love and put mankind in a garden and is called by the Bible, by the sobriquet moniker, the God of hope. When I talk to him, I know that he loves me. I know that he cares about me. I know that he has my best interests in mind. I know that the soul-making theodicy is true, that he's actually using the adversities in my life to forge my spirit and my soul into steel. So when I start to like think about God that way, it changes my brain, it changes my heart, and it changes my circumstances. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the Bible says. How you perceive him dictates what you receive from him. The last one, I just got a quote, venture into the world to do something towards your goals. Things will start to change in your heart and your mind. Are you talking about purpose? A hundred percent. Yeah, and, and I believe in a dreamality that when Old men are dreaming dreams. Young men are seeing visions. When you're walking with God, like you dream cast, you vision near into the future. You venture forward into a boulder tomorrow. Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's as a tree of life. Psalm 20 says, may the Lord grant you your heart's desire. Psalm 21, two, the Lord has granted the king his heart's desire. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself also in the Lord. He gives you the desires of your heart. Uh, Psalm 145, 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Again, it says he satisfies the desire of every living thing. And then again, if you go over to the book of Proverbs 10, 20, uh, 10, 22 and 10, 24, it says the desire of the righteous will be granted. The blessing of the Lord makes him rich. He adds no sorrow with it. So basically all through the scripture, you see this idea that God wants to give you your heart's desire. So when you have a purpose, when you have a dream, Rather than shoving it down, you need to say, how can I go deeper into my heart? If your heart's unregenerated, it might be deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it, as Jeremiah said. But when you have a new heart, he writes his laws on the table of your heart and you can follow it into your purpose. And how, how does one find it? Find their purpose? I think there's two ways. Uh, I think there's two ways primarily. One is what makes you stoked and number two, what makes you ticked? <laughs> so so the thing that like, ticks you off or makes you grieved or outrages you, like similar to Nehemiah, how he was so sad that 140 years ago, the walls were broken so that over a century later, he himself is mourning for 
four months over it. That four months is how long he cried over that. And he knew that he, sometimes if you see a problem in the world and you're like, someone should do something about that, that someone's probably you. That someone's probably you. And that's how you find your purpose. What's the thing that outrages you that makes you say, somebody needs to do something about that. Well, it might be you that needs to do something about that. Another thing is what makes you stoked? I believe the meaning of life as Dr. Sam Storm says is to enjoy the joy of being enjoyed by God. So what, like follow your stoke. What, what gives you joy? What makes you say, like, like, what would you do with your life if you knew you couldn't fail? That's what you should go do. So a while ago, I think this was in November, when I first, first got your book, Hopped and Misfits. So my friend sent it. She lives in Oregon. She goes to your church and she, she sent oh, wow. me the book. Yeah. And then I started reading it. And then you came out here in California. Uh, I think it was Long Beach. And so I drove out there because I was just hungry for God. Like, I just wanted to know more of of him because I grew up, my family was uh, Catholic and um, I didn't really grow up knowing who God is. And that's why I was wondering like, who is God really? Cause you know, some people don't really, they have the wrong perception of him. And so when I went, I remember you telling me cause you signed my book and you said, um, if, you're, if, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big enough, right? Yeah. And so, yes. yeah. And so this right now is scary to me. I'm like sweating because <laughs> I have like terrible social anxiety, but every day I know that I have to push myself to get better and do these things. And so, yeah, I want that for other people. Cause like I said, you know it's, what's the thing? it's so funny. Cause I would never know you had social anxiety because really? you're such a consummate professional. But the other thing is, <laughs> is like, for me, that's how it is with writing. Most people I know when they write, they don't like to write. Norman Mailer said it. I don't like to have, I don't like to write. I like to have written. And like, for me, there's very few things that bring me greater joy than seeing a finished book, you know, like yeah. a book that I finished and it's done. And is it hard? Is it scary? Is it, is it, is it sometimes not very fun? Of course. But once you do the thing that scares you the most, sometimes you'll find that's the thing you actually most needed to do. And that's where the joy often is. So yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you on that, that I just really believe that you know, we need to face, chase, embrace, and faith our fears because <laughs> that's where the that's where the zoe, the over and above kind of life is. And did you really put in ten thousand hours, like into eleven thousand seventy three in five years into writing, preaching, and studying? And that was lowballing it. I actually got way more, but I was so OCD. I'm like, what if I wasn't paying attention close enough? And then I'd like dock myself some time. So. It was gnarly. It was a lot. I mean, it was, it was a lot those five years. And I, I, I don't know. I just do better when I'm very, very, very busy, just constantly going about my purpose. Cause we only have a certain amount of time on this rock and I figure we should fill it with purpose. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what's the last thing that you would say to someone that maybe is struggling right now that feels like it cannot get any better and just feels hopeless. When you're going through your worst, God is planning his best. And on your worst day with God, you are better off than on your best day apart from God. And I want to tell you, you're going to have nightmares, but you also have dreams and you conquer your nightmares because of your dreams. And I know what it's like to want to kill yourself basically because you think tomorrow's going to be no different than today. The future is swallowed by an infinite, you know, grayness and you're just never going to get out. Friend, I just want to tell you, claw your way out of the pit. 
do not give up. That's literally why I wrote this book. I laid down 11 weapons to help you defeat the dark Lord of depression and share my own story of suicide ideation. And if God could heal me, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, he can heal you too. Thank you so much, Ben. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You are so good at what you do. And thank you. you've definitely found your purpose here by doing yeah. this podcast. Keep doing it. You're very good at what you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope that this was helpful. I am super grateful for this opportunity and this journey. You need to read Optimus Fits and Flirting with Darkness. Optimus Fits was one of the first books that I read that really helped me change my perspective, change my life, and just go for all of my dreams and aspirations. And I promise you it'll do the same for you. So as always, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time.